Uh, my name is Tony Wynn, and if you haven't met me, I'm the new church planting resident. I moved here from the West Coast a couple months ago. And so the last time I preached was on July the 4th. And for those of you who didn't make it then, thank you for repenting and being here today. So country living uh, is an adjustment. Uh, I love being, you know, driving here is a little bit different. I love being out in the, in the back country road. I got all two lanes to myself. You know, life is pretty good. I got my Johnny Cash uh, music blasting in the back, man in the black, you know, and uh, got the window down, the wind blowing through my mullet. Life is good, folks. Life is good. Until a, a road, to a detour pops up or a roadblock, and then um, I'm off somewhere in the cornfields, and I'm lost, and I'm frustrated. Folks, sin is like that. Will you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read through Romans chapter 7 again? Our verses today is uh, 14 through 25, but uh, we're just going to focus here for brevity's sake on verse 21. I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I in, oh, that's a tough word. I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will set me free from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Let me quickly, briefly pray. Father, we just give you thanks. We give you thanks for Jesus. We give you thanks for his forgiveness. And Father, we recognize that sometimes sin gets in there and it kind of gets us off track. And Father, we give you thanks for those moments too. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So my road trip has me going in one direction. And that's toward Jesus. That's toward heaven. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been in Romans. And we've been exploring what that road trip looked like. We are justified, declared righteous in Jesus. The dominion. The power of sin has been done away with. Mark Clausen brought it home on us on that. Strader and Matt shared with us that the, that the bondage of law, we're no longer bound to it. So this relationship with Jesus is wonderful. And I'm at a good place. And I'm enjoying my ride. But occasionally, sin interrupts that ride. Would you go with me? Verse 14 of Romans reads, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I'm all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that I am what, but if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that, that I agree that the law is good. 
So I'm not the only one, so I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. The law is good. It points me to God. It reveals the sin. Sin is ugly. Easy fixes. But he redeems every part of who we are. It's everything that's contrary to God. A way of understanding sin is to miss the mark. So if I have my bow and arrow and I'm aiming for that corner and I'm pulling back and I release the arrow, it flies that way and hits Jarrett. Oops, that's sin. Sin is at, at, law, at odd with the law. Sin is at odds with the Bible and with God. And folks, this makes me miserable. I want to do right, but I don't. Nope. I do the very thing I hate. And the author Paul is frustrated. He's not putting to practice what he knows to be the right thing to do. And he's not shirking his responsibility either. To paraphrase my pastor friend, Justin, can we get right? Can we get real here, folks? I'm not walking in sin because someone else's issue. It's not my spouse. It's definitely not my children. And it's not my coworker. The problem is not about God. The problem is with me. So let's stop pointing fingers at why everyone is in trouble and take responsibility for the fact that I'm the problem. Amen? For some of us, the struggle seems like a defeat, but it's not. The constant struggle to overcome my anger, our lust, our insecurities, and our addictions. Why can't I get over this? Seriously? Why does sin enter my godly life? As Christians, we're exasperated by sin. Non-believers, they don't care. They like sin. They're enslaved to it. For us believers, sin is a reality. The battle with our old sinful nature rages on. Verse 18 reads, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is, winning, what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It's sin living in me that does it. Sin hasn't gone anywhere. It's not eradicated. But what anchors is our faith. That when we enter a relationship with Christ, we become a new creation. Therefore, if anything is, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're given a new heart. We're given the Holy Spirit. And this heart longs for God, to live for God, to be directed by the Holy Spirit in triumphant living. 
how many of us can describe our lifestyle as triumphant living? In Romans chapter 6, we're reminded that no, the sin no longer has dominion over us. What Christ did at the cross and in his resurrection changed everything. He renders sin powerless. Verse 10, love this verse, very powerful. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Our union with Christ meant the sin of the past, the present, and the future were forgiven. But until our day of redemption, until heaven, the sinful nature is very real in our lives. The rebellious human nature, the human value system that stands in opposition to God's value. And Paul mentioned the struggle in one of his early writings. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Galatians 5, verse 19 reads, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. If your, if your sin isn't on the list, trust me, it's there. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul has a concern. He doesn't want us to follow the desires of our sinful nature. It's one thing to struggle with sin. It's another thing to be enslaved by it. A reflection of our continual habitual pattern, a lifestyle enslaved to the sinful nature. And folks, you're not going to like me when I say this. Or maybe this is a reflection that you're not saved. Dr. Ralph Wilson writes, the flesh motivates the selfishness we sometimes feel, the whining about our circumstances, the petty jealousy, the jockeying for power in the office and in our marriages. The lure of pornography, the desire for money and possessions, and all the rest. When I wrote this next sentence that I'm going to share with you, I didn't realize how much of my life is reflected in this. And sin comes in many flavors, and it entices us and seems to tempt us at different stages of our life. Listen, folks, the devil may have lost the war, but he still battles on. He knows your tendencies, your habits, and your lust. Sin may not have dominion in your life, but it's still present and active, and the struggle is real. Can I get real here, folks? Can some of us relate to that season of life where our conflicting desires gets the best of us? Where we know we shouldn't, but we do? 
If there was a time in my life that that struggle was louder than an Ohio-Michigan game, it was when I was in Seattle. The ink barely drive on my master's degree at Talbot Theological Seminary, I went north. Go north, young man. And it was in my heart's desire to go plant a church. And there was a season where I gave up ministerial pursuit, went to work for a Swiss company, had the corner office on the 40th floor of the tallest building in the Pacific Northwest. And then I spent a season being like Samson, doing a little bit of missionary dating. And when God prodded my heart and God prodded my heart and says, hey, what is this? What are you all about? So I started a nonprofit organization and I grew it to 1,500 people in two years. I want to cry right now. I didn't see a single person come to know Christ. And I long for God and I long to find pleasure in Jesus. And I was torn between two realities the lust of the world or the love of my God. First John chapter 2, verse 15, 16 mentions there are three types of lust that leads us into greater sin. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If, anything, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, girls, the lust of the eyes, gold, and the pride of, and the pride of life, glory, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So the lust of the eyes occurs when we see something visually that incites us. Covetousness, jealousy, or sexual lust. The pride of life is a desire in every human being to be his or own own God. Arrogance, self-promotion, and greed all stem from the pride of life. It wasn't good enough that I had a church plant. It needed to be a mega church. The lust of the flesh is also one of the, uh, one of the foes we fight. Anyone here ever struggle with the three G's? Don't touch the girl. Don't touch the gold. Don't touch the glory. You write that down, old Jack? You got that, Jack? Okay. Or maybe it's not blatantly obvious. Maybe it's more subtle. The things that lingers in the shadow. Do you love Jesus more than your sin? Because I know sin doesn't love me. It makes me miserable. Anger doesn't love me because it sets the world on fire. Bride doesn't love me. I lost everything. But Jesus does. We need more time with Jesus than the things that we hate, than we do with the things that we proclaim to love. Where's your time? Where's your focus? Where are you struggling? It is a good indication of where your focus is. 
and where your focus is tends to be where your heart is. I'm a child of God, a new creation, and a longer my heart is to love God, to honor him, to be holy, to obey the Spirit, to love my wife, to love my kids. But mano, mano, that sin can stink it up for me. But there is hope. Paul shares this with us in his concluding thoughts on these conflicting desires. So let's focus on Romans chapter 7, verse 21. Romans 7, 21 reads, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, there's that bad word again, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will set me free from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Dr. John Piper, in his sermon on this pastor, had a statement that really stuck with me. And out of respect for him, I'm going to read, I am not saying that Christians live only in defeat. No Christian lives in continual victory. There are moments, hours, and seasons of life where sin has the upper hand. But our road trip doesn't end there. There will be roadblocks and detours that pop up. They will slow us down till we get to our destination. But not yet. It's how you respond in that moment, in that season, that makes the difference. The miserable or the godly? Are you miserable? Wretched? Can't seem to get away from yourself. You wear it so well. Just hopelessness. And you've been in it for so long that when you walk into church, people don't want to hear it because you've been in it for so long. Or are you the other type, the indifferent type? As you're driving along the road, you don't realize that all the cones are starting to pile up in the back of your truck as you're hitting them. So self-righteous. Busy pointing your fingers at other people, texting them about their sins. Are you the high fivers? Woo! I scored. Got to share it at the water cooler. Or maybe you shouldn't. The struggle tells me you got a pulse. It tells me that you're in the fight. And you need to know that you're not alone in the battle. That's the key to Romans chapter 7, guys. We're in this fight. We got a pulse. 
It reminds us that Jesus gave us hope in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 reads, verse 16, I, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. When, then, you won't be going, then you won't be doing what your spiritual nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. There are two forces constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. That word comes back around again. Triumph living. Who will set me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. When our life is interrupted by sin, Jesus directs me back. When the detours gets us off, the phone recalibrates and gets us back on track. That's what Jesus does. We find our forgiveness and our redemption in Jesus. He's our hope and he's our joy. Folks, it's a process. You're going to fall into sin again, but you're going to pick yourself up Why? Because your heavenly father is God and he's given you everything in life to be victorious in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. How many of us would love to wake up free, anxious free, guilt-free, free from the same old sinful drudgery of sin, invigorated for life, longing to have impact, longing for the life mentioned in the Bible? I can wake up bold, and wretched, and miserable. Ashamed of wasting all those years chasing the world. I can be inflicted by, the, by Satan, and woe is me. I'm not good anymore. My life is a has-been. Or I can choose to bend my knees and cry out to God, like Samson did, grow out my beautiful locks, grow back my eyes spiritually. And all I want to hear from Jesus is this, good and faithful servant, as I put my hands on a pillar, God, and I put my hand on the other pillar, Jesus, kind of looks like the cross. And I live again. Who will deliver me from the sinful life that I live sometimes? I really want to share with you this thought. I got a secret for you. Conviction points us to Jesus, but shame cripples us. So you got a choice. Wallow in your wretchedness, wallow in your misery, or confess your sin, embrace the forgiveness God freely gives because of Jesus, and move beyond your shame and guilt. Who will set me free from this life 
that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. Moving toward closing, I want to share with you about a friendship I have. Uh, his name is Donnie. And I've, I've known him for about 15 years. And uh, Donnie's one of those cool cats. Super brilliant, super smart, charming, athletic, flying around, playing in tennis tournaments. And the love of his life right now, she's one of the Nordstrom's family. I know how you guys all like to throw out names around here, so I just want to throw out the Nordstrom family. And Donnie, if you looked at his life, you're like, man, he's got everything. He's, he's got it all good. You know, he lives in the bougie neighborhood of Seattle. Life's good. Makes a lot of money doing mortgages. But if you knew Donnie like the way I knew Donnie, you'd think differently. There was a time when Donnie was on the floor in a... In a, in a in a uh, baby position, a fetal position, strung out. The best way he could describe it to me was that the first time he had alcohol, I think he was around 16 or so, it just lit him up. And he went down every direction that you can go. He explored every dark corner of Seattle. And when he got to the last place that he could go to, broken tears running down his eyes he shows up at alcohol anonymous and the girl looked up to him and he said and she says there's hope there's another way i want to challenge you guys how many of us here can raise our hand and says that we've never been in that season where we never struggle with the three J's. For most of us, we got out of it, and we moved on from it. So what that tells me is that you got experience. You've been there. you dealt with it. And what I'm hoping is from your experiences, you develop empathy. You develop compassion. So that when someone else is struggling with sin in their lives, you're able, like Strader demonstrated last week, you're able to put your arms around them and tell them about Jesus and tell them about forgiveness and to tell them about love. Because you got two choices when it comes to sin. You can be stuck by it, enamored with it, in love with it, Oh, wretched man that I am, hopeless. Or you can just walk away from it. And you can choose Jesus. And you know what Jesus says in his good word? He says that when you're spiritual, when you're godly, restore the person who's hurting. Restore the person who's sinning. At the bottom of your... Um, of your bulletin, I kinda, we kind of put three things there. And I want to challenge you with this. When you know your spiritual gift, it, it frees you up to serve 
the body of Christ. When you know the work that God has called you to do, you're not going to spend time chasing the world. You're going to be an exhorter. You're going to proclaim God's word. You're going to do, you're going to share the good news. And if sometimes you got to do a little bit of correction and training. And if you're in a funky place of life, you know what I did? I didn't drive down to the local liquor store. I didn't open up my laptop late at night. You know what I did? I went and got into my car, and I went downtown, and I shared the gospel. Because when you do all these things, exercise your spiritual giftedness, share the gospel, when you do these things, the focus is no longer on you. The focus is no longer on your miserable sin. The focus is on Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. So let's close in the time of prayer. Dear and gracious Father, God, I give you thanks for who you are. I give you thanks for your love for me. I give you thanks for Crossroad. I give you thanks for, for Matt Boyer, for putting his arm around me and saying, hey, son, hey, Tony, this is how it means to serve again. This is how it means to be a pastor. And, and I give you thanks for this time and for your word that it ain't about the sin we struggle with. It's about the victory we have in Jesus. It's about the forgiveness that we have, the love that pours over us. And for that, Father, that's what we're fixated on. And we give you thanks for that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.